All right, if you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I see that uh, since the colonel is going to be here on Saturday, I've got a mess under here I've got to clean up. Uh, he visited me in the office the other day, and the first thing he said is, Steve, you've got to clean your office. And, uh, <laughs> I get busy. All right. First Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the, of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, according to the riches of your glory... Grant that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inmost being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, and may have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Accomplish this through the reading and the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you follow my blog, you will notice that I just finished reading a book by John Perkins, uh, who is one of the aging civil rights leaders. And it was a very good book. And uh, part of what he does is he kind of tells the story of the past He talks in large part about how the gospel addresses the present. And it's titled, Dream With Me, because he knows the work is not yet done. That there's still much that needs to take place. And so he shares the dreams that he has, uh, the vision that he has for this country as a place that can be shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I think about the uh, First Peter one, this first chapter, as I think about this text, I'm I, I, I thinking about it in these terms. He's talked about their past. He's talked about God's uh, gospel and how it relates to the present. But he's also, also, I think here, inviting these people from these churches to dream with him about what God wants to accomplish long term the goals that they are intended to be moving toward in their present. And so while I'm not saying that we should call this sermon Dream With Me, it is that we are born again to love. And so the big idea this morning is that the Word gives us life to love one another. Let's begin with our two points this morning. We only have two. Isn't that great? Okay. Jesus produces genuine love for one another through the Word. Peter, again, is addressing these people as they are as Christians. 
These are people who have already received the good news of Jesus Christ, and yet he keeps reminding them of what God has done for them in his Son and the effect that it has had on them. And so he starts off this paragraph with this phrase, having purified your souls. This is a past action that has present consequences. It's something that has already taken place. It is not, as some might think, a call to purify their souls, but it is a recognition of what has, been, what has already taken place in Jesus Christ. They were sprinkled, as he began this letter, with the blood of Christ, and it is that which purifies their souls. And the key aspect here is their souls. It has not just purified them externally, but it has gone to the very root of who they are. Not just what is visible, but also that which is invisible, because sin is not just external, sin is also a power within our hearts. It is not simply what we do, but it is also this internal attitude of rebellion against God and His commandments. And so sin is much bigger than an act that you may commit, commit, but it goes to the core of who you are. And so Peter and his understanding of Christianity is that it is not sort of this idea of sin management. If we can just kind of keep sin at bay, if we can kind of keep the outside of the house looking good, then everything is going to be fine. But rather, Christianity is a way of dealing with those desires that we talked about the previous few weeks, of those sinful desires that arise, that have their root deep within. So... It's not just about behavior control. It's getting to the root of our problems. And I'm sort of reminded of one of the parables or illustrations that Jesus used where he talked about, you know, you don't just clean the outside of the cup. One of my elders complained that this is a Starbucks cup and this is not in any way an endorsement of Starbucks. (laughs) But this is the cup I use to drink my tea. Looks good, doesn't it? So you look inside. (laughs) You see all the tea rings. I think I need to clean my cup. Jesus said, you don't just clean the outside of the, the cup or the dish or the mug, but you're also supposed to clean the inside. And the Pharisees were really good at cleaning the outside and neglecting the inside. That's what human nature tends to do. We put together a nice front so that people think that we're nice people, but inside we can struggle with all manner of corruption and sin that no one else knows about. But God, He knows it's there. And He seeks to address it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they have been purified by the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, but He he notes here, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. And now, for some of us that, wait a minute here. Does this sound something like 
we're earning our salvation? Is this, is this indicating that somehow our obedience will uh, purify our hearts? And I will say to you, um, no. I think within its context, uh, similar to the context that we see in Romans, this is in, this is in fact um, referring to their faith and repentance to God's call. It's the this obedience is faith. They have repented of their sin. They have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that which purifies their souls. It is not our obedience in the sense of, well, yes, here's a command and now I'm going to obey it. That does not purify us. That does not change us. But rather, it is Jesus who changes us as we trust in Him. This week I was reminded, as I listened to a sermon, of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Cousin Eustace. Good old Cousin Eustace, who was stubborn and who was greedy and who was arrogant. And who one night fell asleep with his dreams of wealth and woke up to discover that he had been transformed into a dragon. All that had happened was that who he was deep down inside became visible to everybody else. It wasn't as though he went to bed a good little boy and woke up a nasty dragon. He was the dragon all along. But now he knew he was a dragon, and everyone else knew he was a dragon. He didn't like this about himself, or perhaps the fact that everyone else knew it about him. And so he tried with his his dragon claws to try and remove his dragonness, and guess what? He couldn't. No matter what he did, he remained a dragon. It wasn't until Aslan said, Would you like me to remove that for you? To which he said, Yes. And so Aslan took out his claws and removed the dragonness and restored Eustace to being a human being. And so we see that when we struggle with these internal desires that perhaps no one else knows, when we struggle with our dragonness, so to speak, it is Christ who alone can address and kill the dragon within our hearts. It is He and He alone who can transform us from deep inside of who we are. He is the only one that can do this. And he promises to do this in the gospel, through the gospel. But I want us to note the purpose of this conversion that has taken place, this purification of the soul by obedience to the truth. He says it is for a sincere brotherly love. It's been moving. It's for something else. It's not just so that you can be pure. It's so that you can love one another, Peter is saying. And that sounds very similar to what we see in other passages of Scripture. For instance, Galatians 5, For in Christ, or in union with Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so a person who is united to Jesus Christ is known because their faith works itself out in love. Romans 12, Paul says something very similar. He says, let love be genuine or sincere. Same word, 
Okay? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another and showing honor. And so one of the, the things that he says here about how love manifests itself, one particular manifestation of it is outdoing one another and showing honor to one another. And so we see, if we're listening, we hear that God is love, as we read from 1 John, and that He saves us in order to make us people who love. He saves us so that we, the church, can become a community of love. Precisely because God Himself, three persons, one God, a community of eternal and perfect love. And so the church is meant to reflect this eternal reality about who God is in terms of itself as a community of love. And so there's an idea, as uh, Sinclair Ferguson notes, it's not about maximum emotion. It's really about maximum commitment. Love is not about what we tend to think. Oh, my heart goes... When they come by. But really, it's, I am committed to their well-being. I am fully committed to their well-being such that I am willing at times to make myself uncomfortable. Loved by God, we are to love one another earnestly, he says, from a pure heart. Earnestly is that word that is used uh, in Luke 22 when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying earnestly or passionately, and we see that his sweat became like great drops of blood that started hitting the ground. He was so engaged in this process of praying earnestly. And so our love is intended to be earnest, observably earnest. But it's only really pleasing to God if it is from the heart, a pure heart, which we see we have purified our souls in our conversion. And so now we have this pure heart that is able to love, but still struggles to love. Because remember, we talked about how um, these passions that we had and we followed in the ignorance before we came to Christ. These passions have not gone the way of all things. They still exist within us. And so Peter reminds them, don't be conformed to those passions. They're still there. And these passions that are still there, what they do is they work against love and community. You cannot love somebody when you're impatient with them. You cannot love somebody when you're bitter about their sin. You cannot love somebody when you're more concerned about your pleasure than their well-being. We know this in marriage. We know this in family. It also applies in church. Okay? 
And so we see that love, as Paul says, does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love fulfills the law, and yet we struggle to love because of those sinful desires that we want to satisfy. So John Calvin puts it this way, for the love of ourselves rules, which is full of hypocrisy, and besides, everyone measures his love, which he shows to others, by his own advantage, and not by the rule of doing good. We're not very good lovers of other people. We struggle with that. And sometimes what we do is we say, well, they're not very lovable. If only they were lovable, it would be easy to love them. And that really shifts the blame from us to them. Because the problem is really an us problem, not a them problem. Because we see that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us when we were his enemies. When we were unlovable, unloving. So how do we get out of this mess? Where we see that we're, we're, we were redeemed in order to be people who are marked by love, to be a community that is loving, and yet we struggle to love. And the first thing I I believe we need to do is to remember God's incredible love for us. Okay? And that is precisely where John goes in 1 Peter, uh, sorry, 1 John chapter 4. He goes right there that this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. And explains how he loved us by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sins. We have been though we might not always recognize it, we have been loved well by God, and therefore we have love to give. And we need to remind ourselves that we have been loved by God and loved well through His Son. We are not an empty vessel, but we are one that has been filled. Okay? For instance... Romans 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One way God loved us well after the cross was that He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, poured His love into our hearts. And so there's some measure of His love that if you are a Christian is there because you are united to Christ and the Holy Spirit is present. And so when we're struggling to love, we need to remember that and cry maybe perhaps more love. Pour more of your love into my heart precisely so I can love these other people I'm struggling to love well. And so pray for Him to pour His love into your heart so it can overflow to others. Secondly, I think we should remember God's love for the other person. Not only did God love me on the cross, but he also loved my brothers and sisters in Christ upon the cross. If he loves them, he can help me to love them. 
just as much as He calls me to love them. This is not easy. I admit that this this can be difficult. John Perkins notes this is difficult. He says, the more we practice loving the people who are hard for us to love, the more we reflect Jesus' character and build our, what he calls, grace muscles so we can respond in an even more Christ-like manner the next time. What this is really getting at is what we've talked about before, that idea of the gospel waltz. Okay? That idea of confess your mess. And so as, as we... As we try to love and we come face to face with our selfishness, we confess that selfishness. Father, I'm struggling to love. We confess it. But the second part of that dance is we receive, remember, uh, receive Christ and receive His blessings. And part of what we receive is God's love that is poured into our hearts. And so we confess our, me- our mess, but we receive His grace. And then we seek to walk in the ways of love because now we've been given the resources from God Himself. Now part of what we saw in First Thessalonians was that this community of love was intended to be a light to the nations, to approve the faith to unbelievers, so that they would go, I may not agree with them, but look at how those Christians love. Not look at how those Christians argue for truth. Not look for how those Christians um, avoid any semblance of uh, sin But look at how those Christians love. And so we see that Jesus who died for us also works in us to purify our souls, to prepare us to love. Secondly, Jesus gives us imperishable life through the living and abiding word. How is it that this community of love is possible? It is possible because God works in in giving life to all of the people who belong to that community. He says, since you have been born again. Okay, he's connecting what they have, uh, uh, what they're called to with the reality of their regeneration. He recycles back to this truth of how they became Christians in the first place. Christ's work for uh, for us is applied to us, in part, initially, in regeneration. And so, if you remember, a few sermons ago, we talked about how they were made alive through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Okay, that is the uh, one of the, the means by which God... <clears throat> Give them, gave them life. Sorry. Made them alive again, united to Christ who rose from the dead. They have been given this new life and regeneration, but there's a sense in which, well, how did this take place? It's through the instrument of the Word. This not perishable seed, but this imperishable seed. 
He wants them to know, to be, to be reminded that this new life that they have within them because of, of the work and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an imperishable one as opposed to one that falls apart, one that has an end. Why might that be important? Well, as we've witnessed just recently, people die. Physical life ends. Sometimes, as in Jim Miller's case, it's, you know, he's in his 70s. Sometimes, as was more frequent back then, it's an infancy. And so they, they were used to babies being born, but not making it to adulthood. And so, is that what happens when, when God gives us this new spiritual life to which... Peter says that's not the same thing. When he gives us this new spiritual life, it's not perishable like our physical lives, but it is in fact imperishable. Because it is through the living and abiding Word of God. This word, which in Hebrews is said to be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Peter reminds them that he did not make this up for himself. He quotes from Isaiah 40, which is why we read from Isaiah 40 earlier in the service. The, the message from Isaiah 40 was essentially this. Do not settle for, nor fear, Human glory. They were to hold out for the eternal glory of God that is given through His Word. Because in their circumstances, they saw, they were able to fear human kingdoms that were great, greater than Israel. They could aspire to become a great kingdom, or they could live in fear of those great terrifying kingdoms like the Babylonians and the Assyrians. But what God is saying is, they are going to come to nothing. Don't live in fear of them. Don't aspire to be like them. They will come to nothing because people are like grass. And human glory is like the flowers in the grass. And they lived in the desert too. And so what happens to grass in the desert? It quickly withers and perishes. You don't want earthly glory. You don't want human glory. That's just going to fade and pass away. What you want is the eternal glory that only comes through the Word of God, which remains and abides, which lives and works. For our good. So there's a sense here in which there's a call not to rely on human wisdom, but to rely on God's revealed wisdom to us. The living Word of God has power, it works to produce life in dead sinners. And so it and its results. Abide. 
And so as you seek to build a community of love, we are to rely on the wisdom of God and His revelation to live well and to build community. For instance, James 3. From our confession of sin today, we talked about the reality of taming the tongue from James 3, uh, the, the ways in which we were made to praise God, but we curse people who are in His image. Okay, these, these desires that we have. But then it moves into wisdom. That there are two kinds of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom that is unspiritual and demonic. A wisdom that destroys communities. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I shared this passage with the session at our meeting on Monday night particularly because of, well, our need for wisdom, but also the reality that the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so when we live by God's wisdom within community, what we're doing when we experience conflict is not furthering the conflict. We are not uh, embracing a... um, shock and awe method of conflict resolution. We don't uh, engage in a Twitter war, okay? We're not there, let's make them look worse than we look. But godly wisdom says, seek reconciliation. Seek peace with your brother or sister. That's how you preserve the community. That's how you grow in love. And that's just one of the ways in which we are intended to submit to the Word of God as we seek to become a community of love. Living as one, as we noted from 1 Thessalonians, reveals the power of truth It prepares people to receive the gospel. How is it that the Word of God gives life to us? I'm not thinking of this in a theoretical sort of way, but in a very practical sort of way, in a way that makes sense with regard to evangelism. He notes this Word, this Word of God, is the good news that was preached to you. It was the Word that they heard when the gospel was made known to them through the apostles and the evangelists. It is this word which is living and abiding. It is this gospel message of which Paul was not ashamed, for it was the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. 
We see this power of the Word of God revealed in Ezekiel 37 as Ezekiel stands before the valley of dry bones and God says, prophesy, and he speaks the words God gave to him and those bones got life. And so when we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, we are preaching it to people who are dead in sin, and it's not us, but it is God who brings them back to life, regenerates them through His powerful Word so they believe. And so in evangelism, God works through us for the well-being of other people. The Spirit of Christ, who gave the Word, as we saw earlier in chapter 1, now works through the Word in order to give life to sinners. It's amazing. He called each of us to salvation through the Word, by calling us to faith and repentance to Christ. And so we now call others to salvation by calling them to faith and repentance to Christ in accordance with that same word. But we won't do that unless first we love God and we love them. And so now we're back in our struggle to love. And so there we go back to the beginning of the gospel waltz. And so sometimes your real struggle with evangelism is a lack of love. And so you go to Jesus and you ask Him to give you more love. Our role, brothers and sisters, is to speak God's Word or message to people. It's His role to give them life. I like how John Perkins put a lot of this in his book. So becoming a Christian is discovering God's love for us. And being a Christian is learning to love God back. And then finding ways to show God's overflowing love to the people around us. That's really, I think, a a great short summary of what it means to become and be a Christian. So we see that the word that saves us is the same word that sanctifies us. And part of that sanctification is that He shows us what love really is. And so this cycle just kind of keeps going so that we get deeper and deeper, so to speak, in love. Growing deeper and deeper in love with God and more and more able to show love to other people because we understand more fully how God has loved us in Jesus Christ. So, I think Peter was dreaming of a community of love populated by people who had been given life in Christ through the Word of God preached to them. Without this Word, there is no community. 
Without love, there's no point to the community. You have a community of people who are just destroying one another. Not really a community. Society, perhaps. All we have is another failed gathering of sinners. But this community that the Word creates will not be perfected until Jesus returns. But it has begun. And it does continue. And it does, by the grace of God, grow in grace. It matures as we confess our mess, as we receive the fullness of Christ, as we seek to walk in love precisely because we've been loved. She's too enraptured with how she's been loved over here. Okay? There's a sense in which we should have that as well. In other words, we are not as we were, and we are not as we will be, but Christ is not finished working. He's not finished working in you, nor is He finished working through you for His glory. So why don't we pray that God would continue both of those things in the full knowledge that Christ has worked completely for us. That is finished. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that there is no one else who needs to die for our sin. For Christ has done it. We thank You for Jesus because He has taken up His life again and been raised out of the dead and He has given us a new life as well. That we can walk in newness of life. So Father, thank You for Jesus who sends His Spirit so that He may dwell within us, but also that He may work within us, applying what He has done for us to each of us purifying our souls, transforming us, renewing us into His image. So we ask that this would take place, that You would use Your Word to work these things within us, that You would help us through Your Word and the sanctifying Spirit to grow in love, to grow in humility, And that by that same Spirit You would work through us that we would be making known this good news to other people. And that they could be joining us in Your kingdom. Father, all of this is beyond us. Help us to remember that so that we are continually crying out for You to be at work. Not just in changing us, but in using us. And we ask this so that we might delight in You and that we might glorify You. In Jesus' name, Amen.